Today's reading from God's Holy Word is from Revelation chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Revelation chapter 3. To the church in Sardis, to the angels of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the church in Philadelphia, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of you who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the church in Laodicea, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here, either in person or at home. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we pray you would indeed speak to us. Help us to hear what is comforting this morning, and help us to hear what is challenging too. May we respond well to both. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. We're looking this morning at three of the letters written by the Lord Jesus to some churches in what is now Turkey. And yes, as we read these letters, we notice the same phrase each time. It comes there in verse 6, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the point there is that on the one hand, we're to guard against ignoring these letters because they're not for us, they're, they're ancient. On the other hand, this guards us against thinking that each of these churches uh, is us. We're not identical to any of those churches, any of these seven churches across these two chapters. But these letters, while not written uh, to us, are for us. And the way to learn from them is to remember that this book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus. It shows us things about Jesus that we need to hear. You see, if we are Christians, Jesus Christ is our lodestar. A lodestar is a star used as a navigation reference for, for boats and such like. We adopt that word in other contexts. Here's one from an article written uh, just in August. It says, Throughout the pandemic, one lodestar of public health advice has come, has come down to three words, do things outside. Well, for a Christian and for a church, Jesus is our lodestar. And in each of these letters, Jesus teaches a church to navigate in relation to him. So, let's listen. And in this first letter that we're looking at this morning, to Sardis, Jesus says that there is a huge gap between their reputation and their reality. And so, first up, number one letter we're looking at this morning. You have a reputation of being alive but you are dead. Wake up. Those are words of the Lord Jesus Christ in this letter. First up, let's look who's talking. Verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now that description matters. It uses symbols from chapter 1. And it's saying that it's Jesus who gives life to a church by his spirit and by his word. So if you want to know how you're doing as a church, don't listen to people out there. Don't even just listen to each other. Jesus is your man. Listen to Jesus. 
And he says to this church in Sardis this, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What kind of things might give a reputation, what might, things might give a church a reputation for being alive? Here are some possibilities. A large and growing attendance. Lots of young people. A calendar filled with ministries, programs, small groups, outreach. Lots of community activities, so partnering at schools, helping the poor, feeding the hungry. Maybe a classy website, a a fancy coffee bar. How about that it's it's influential in in the kind of political arena? What about uh, doctrinal accuracy? Maybe preaching that's amusing, or energetic, or faithful, or all three. What about a come-as-you-are ambience? Or maybe extraordinary supernatural experiences, tongues, prophecies, healings. How about lively music with closed eyes and lifted hands? Or perhaps that it's warm and welcoming. And one of those might cause us to say, this church is alive. But Jesus says, not so fast. Imagine you visit this church in Sardis. You're impressed. Well, people told me you're the best church around, and I can see what they mean. You guys, you guys are alive. But Jesus says, ah, you guys are dead. See, a church then can have full pews and a full program, Faithful preaching and fantastic spiritual experiences. Live stream services and freshly ground coffee. And yet, be dead. Actually, Sardis hasn't quite breathed their last. They still had a faint pulse. So Jesus kindly steps in and shakes them out of the fantasy that they're doing A-OK. Verse 2, wake up. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And so their deeds that might have gained the church such a reputation for being alive, to Jesus those deeds stink. So what is the issue? I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Why are unfinished deeds so dreadful? Let me try to explain. God wants his people to be rich in good deeds. That means we look to do all the deeds God wants us to do, all of them, in the way that he tells us to do, and for the goal he tells us to have, which is for his glory. But Sardis' deeds were unfinished. I take it that means that they were done not for God's glory, but for self-promotion and self-satisfaction. Done not according to God's word, but, but according to human standards and maybe pragmatism, whatever. And I guess, too, that this church was selective in the deeds they did. You see, a church can be prone to picking and, and choosing which of God's commands they'll obey and ignoring the rest. For, so, for example, we might give money generously, but not prioritise praying together. Or, or we might be active in the community but not be making disciples of Christ, and so on. Taking it all together, this church is saying, I'll decide what it is that I do and how I do it for Jesus. And as you hear this, I wonder if you think Jesus would 
say that he's found your or my deeds unfinished in the sight of God. It is very serious. A church or a Christian like this has a deadly virus that's more uh, serious than COVID-19. Yet there's a vaccine. Verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Now what they've received and heard is God's good news message about Jesus. It's the gospel. Jesus tells them to remember it and hold it fast Because it's the gospel that moves a church from just having a great reputation in the eyes of people to having a great reality in the eyes of Jesus. You see, the gospel says that as rebels against God, we deserve his judgment. Yet God offers us Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Jesus who lived the life God requires of us and died to pay the penalty of sin we owe. And by embracing Jesus, we're given forgiveness of sins, a right standing before God, the hope of glory with him, and Jesus as our king. So we're now given the mandate and the power to do all that he says, not living selfishly, but living for his glory, which is life in all its fullness. So do you see, if that's the gospel, you see how the gospel causes a church to want to do all the deeds God wants according to his ways for his glory remember therefore what you have received and heard hold it fast and repent repent if you're dead like this turn away from that half-hearted obedience receive afresh the saving lordship of Jesus now that is going to be a major change for this church in Sardis and if they don't want to do it Jesus goes on to warn that he will come suddenly and unexpectedly to judge them, perhaps causing their church to die out completely. He says, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, not everyone in the church in Sardis has this problem. Verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. And Jesus urges the rest to be like them. Verse 5. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if you refuse to join in with those who who practice unfinished deeds, who practice half-hearted obedience, if you refuse, if you say, no, that's not me, I'm going to let Jesus truly rule me. If you do that, you likely won't get your name in the history books. You may not get your name on a medal or a cup or a certificate. You may not be tagged on Facebook by someone wanting to big you up for making lots of Jesus. In fact, some people will think worse of you. But you will be named by the Lord Jesus Christ 
in the book of life. And he will shout your name before God the Father and his angels. Well, isn't that better by far? And so then our reputation is not what matters. Our reputation out there, as it were, not what really matters. What matters most is that we are alive according to Jesus. And as we're seeing here, the way to wake up, if that's what's needed, and to stay awake is to be all about the gospel of Jesus. Pastors must preach the gospel regularly. But more than that, all of us must speak the gospel regularly to one another and to ourselves. It's not madness. The gospel must reverberate in our households, at the dinner table, in the front room, in the garden, in our bedrooms, morning, noon and night. And the gospel must reverberate in our church life in groups for children and groups for adults, in conversations, in our evangelistic endeavours and so on. And when we hear it, hopefully day by day by day, we must each personally receive it. Then, by being diligent in this way, we will stay awake. And then we can do the deeds of people who are alive for Christ and look forward to Jesus bigging us up before the host of heaven well let's move on just as someone might think a church is alive when in fact they're dead so a church might be considered dead when in fact it's very much alive that's our next church and Jesus' message to them is this You've kept my word and have not denied my name. Hold on. Think of this. If a church across town is is big and growing and ours isn't, we might wonder, does God have his blessing on us? We might wish we had a different pastor. We might start looking around at other churches where there's more going on. If we're a pastor... We might get so discouraged, we leave our church, even the ministry. The church in Philadelphia may well have faced those self-doubts. How kind of Jesus to send them a letter, because just look who's talking. Verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Sometimes in life, people will open doors for us. Sometimes they will shut doors in our face. But none of those doors matter like the door to God's kingdom. And Jesus is in the crucial position as the key holder to God's kingdom. Now, he's in that position because of his death. We are sinners, but in his death, Jesus paid for our sins, and so he, as it were, stands at the door to God's kingdom, and if we trust in him, he lets us in. If we don't trust in him, he doesn't let us in. We're shut out. Now, I wonder if you have ever had a door shut on you. I wonder if you've ever had a door shut on you 
for standing tall for Jesus. Perhaps a door to a job or a promotion. Perhaps a a door into a friendship group. Perhaps even a door to a family member. Those first readers in Philadelphia had. But what a difference it makes to listen to your lodestar. Verse 8, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Well, isn't that marvellous? The Lord Jesus has opened wide the door to his kingdom for them and no one has the power to overcome him and shut that door. And that is because Jesus knows. He knows the truth about them. He knows in particular two things about them. He knows first up that they have, what does he say, little strength. So they are weak. They're weak in number. Weak in leadership. Weak in resources. Weak in reputation. And I guess most people in Philadelphia didn't know that this church existed. So they're weak. That's what Jesus knows. But he also knows. He also knows that they're faithful. And that is the key. Now, the key, if that is the key, we need to know what does Jesus mean by being faithful? Do wipe away whatever definition you have and just make sure that we listen to Jesus. And he says two things about being faithful. First, what does he say? You can see it in verse 8, halfway down. Um, I know uh, that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. This means they have listened to Jesus in the Bible and followed his teaching, done what he says. Second, you have not denied my name. So they, they stood tall for Jesus. Jesus commands us to do that. He commands us to be like lampstands. That's a picture from chapter 1, elsewhere in Revelation. To stand tall for him in public. To shine the good news into people's darkness. You and me, each of us and our churches together. Well, this church had kept on doing that, despite the grief they'd faced for it in Philadelphia in a time of emperor worship, they face the same temptations we face. And like us, it would have started early at school. Each morning, Mrs. Smith would start, good morning class, Caesar is Lord. And they would reply, morning Mrs. Smith, Caesar is Lord. Except for the Christian boys and girls, who say, no, 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 he's not Lord, Jesus is Lord. Imagine the grief they got for that. But they were so proud of Jesus, so they did not deny his name. It takes courage, doesn't it, to do that, to stand tall for Jesus at school, but also at college and at work and with family and friends and neighbours, strangers. And also with religious people who say that Jesus is not God's promised king, the way to God. But this church were proud of Jesus and, uh, and that made Jesus proud of them. One day he's going to see that they're publicly honoured. Take a look at verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. Presumably they gave this, this church grief. I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. 
since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So let's ask now um, to this church, Philadelphia, what does Jesus challenge them on? He challenges the churches that he writes to elsewhere. What does he challenge this church on? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. Jesus is delighted with them. What he says to them is hold on. Now, given that Jesus has nothing to challenge them on, what does that tell us about what Jesus looks for in a church? What does Jesus care about? What doesn't Jesus care about? It tells us that Jesus cares about faithfulness. And only that. When Jesus looks at a church, there are two things he's looking for. Do we keep his word? So are we listening to his word in such a way as to be changed by it? And are we standing tall for him? sharing his word in such a way as to make disciples for him as we go about our daily lives. That's it. When he sees these two things, Jesus is thrilled. And in truth, that's really all he cares about. I wonder, is it all we care about? When we think about our church, what are the things we find ourselves really caring about, praying about, wanting? Are they the same things as Jesus? The beauty of this is that we can be faithful. That is within our grasp. We cannot necessarily do all that another church or organization can do. But we can listen to his word and do what he says. We can do our job of making disciples. We can be faithful if we want to be. And if we do, we we won't get the approval of those around us, but we will get the approval that matters. Verse 12. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A lot of money from uh, American Express means that the Amex is known as the Amex. Well, in Philadelphia, back then, if you gave enough money, you could have your name on a pillar in a temple. But where are those pillars now? The Bible tells us that God is building a temple that will never fall down. It's not made of bricks or marble, but people. And what Jesus promises here is that anyone who is faithful to him is not merely going to be there, as it were, with him. We're going to be one of the pillars. Little old you. <laughs> Little old me. And whose name will be on us? Who, who paid for us to be there? Jesus. So then how crucial it is that we stay faithful to Jesus, that we keep listening to him, doing what he says, 
and standing tall for him because he alone holds the key. So, there was Sardis to start with who looked alive but were dying. Philadelphia then who looked weak but were enduring. Our final letter is to Laodicea and they are lukewarm and sickening. And Jesus' message to them is this. You're lukewarm and wretched. Become rich. And we're going to zoom on the issue for them and, and, then, and then land. And but first, let's as ever look who's talking. Verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And so the one speaking is the one without whom life makes no sense. And yet, even churchgoers find it very easy to keep this one at arm's length. Because here's what Jesus knows about them. Verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I want you to imagine a group of people who are hot for Jesus. So they love to meet together when they can and listen to his word together and speak to him and sing his praises. And they also meet in smaller groups to read the Bible together and pray for one another and help each other follow Jesus. And outside of that, they're busy working out how to live for Jesus and they're busy sharing the good news of Jesus, albeit imperfectly. They know without, without Jesus, life makes no sense. He's the lodestar. And they're actively thinking through how they can use all the different aspects of their lives for Jesus. Now, we have a word for such people. We call them Christians. Now, I want us to imagine another group of people cold towards Jesus. So they, they wouldn't dream of meeting to listen to Jesus. And they're not interested in prayer because they don't believe it does anything. And this idea that Jesus is at the heart of reality, I mean, that's, it's ridiculous uh, to them. We, we have a word for them too, don't we? We call them non-Christians. Now I want us to think about a third group who meet together from time to time, they sing the songs, sit through the sermon. We're on a Sunday rotor. But when someone asks, would you like to serve Jesus in, in, in this new such and such a way? They say, hmm, no, I'd rather not. Or if they're invited to the prayer meeting, they say, they've got a bit too much on. Or, or if it's suggested that they find a guest to bring to an evangelistic event or, or a course to hear about Jesus, they keep their heads down. The question is, what do you call that group? Jesus. His answer is this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. A church like that makes Jesus sick. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. So they are perfectly satisfied. They, they look at, you know, they've got, they've got money in the bank, they've got health, they wouldn't say they have any needs to speak of. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
So if that's you or I, what must we do? What must they do? Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. He goes on, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is an invitation, a call to churchgoers. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What must they do? What must you do if you're neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm? You must open the door to Jesus. Let him in. And when you do, he will make you truly rich. He will clothe you. He will cover you. He will heal you. He will eat with you. He will give you everything your heart truly desires. And one day, he will seat you with him and, and as it were, eat with you. Well, as we think through all we've heard, I hope you can see more clearly than ever that Jesus must be our lodestar. And then as we consider what we've heard about how to navigate life in relation to him, I guess there's two biggies to leave you with. Leave you with. The, the first is this. Jesus is glorious and good. Jesus is glorious and good. So, be faithful to him. Be faithful to him. I don't know quite the particular thing that you need to hear from these three letters this morning. Whatever it is, can I ask you just in this moment, not to to go and do something else or check your phone or whatever it is, but to speak to Jesus about it right now.